When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish. The podcast that's filled with cum. <coughs> Passion. <laughs> compassion. Filled with compassion. God. I do love a fake choking. Uh, <laughs> I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Fake choker extraordinaire. We're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today, are you okay? Today, I'm going to be choking on the cum of the fame of Danny Roberts. What the fuck? <laughs> we're going to talk about M- we're going to talk about MTV gays, and we are having on Danny Roberts from the Real World '87 or whichever one it was. Yeah, um, uh, New Orleans, season nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we will talk a little bit more about him and our connection to the Real World. But uh, first, you want to talk about this Real World we exist in, Mike? No. <laughs> oh, I know. Same, right? That's what reality TV is for, to uh, escape reality. <laughs> huh. Wow. <laughs> I'm not high enough for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but first, uh, here's the news. That's just trying to lead into. Yeah. You did so good. Oh, thanks. Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News. 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 So news the first democrats are chicken shit and i fucking i'm so disappointed wow that could wow that could be head the headline most weeks what what did they what did they oh okay so the the house of representatives passed a measure that would protect marriage equality as the law of the land in case the supreme court decides to overturn obergefell v hodges like they just overturned roe versus wade which was the abortion rights uh, mandate so so anticipating that perhaps the Supreme Court is going to continue to be crazy, because of course they are, they, the House of Representatives passed a bill, the Democrat-led House of Representatives passed a bill uh, protecting marriage equality. And uh, the, the Democrat-controlled Senate said, yeah, we'll get to that later. And by later, we mean next year after the election. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just their M.O. Like, that's Mitch McConnell's M.O. is like, no, t- no, 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 no. He's like that. He was <laughs> that Megan Trainer song is about him. Yeah. <laughs> what? There's a Megan Trainer song called No. Don't worry about it. That reference is barely, I, barely even relevant to me, a person I, who loves that song. I just I can't get Amy Winehouse out of my head now. Like, we tried to make the Democrats go to rehab, but they said oh. no, no, no. God, that would have been so much better. Oh, <laughs> okay, great. Okay, cool. Uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin said, "Quote: I'm still very confident that the bill will pass, but we will be taking the bill up later after the election." Which that's a gamble. We don't know that the Democrats are going to be in charge after the election. Yeah. You fuckers. Yeah. Although there will be, of course, a, uh, maybe a lame duck opportunity there. If the Democrats lose the election, they can still. Like the new senators don't take their seats until January, so they could just like ram that shit through. Well, um, apparently you're not allowed if if there's a Democratic outgoing president, you're not allowed to do anything because that violates democracy. But if there's Republican outgoing president, you are required to do lots pass lots of things. Sure. There's yeah, there's there's a there's a, a double standard, I will say, that exists on the behalf of Republicans. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things about like the way that the Senate operates, Senate rules and whatnot. That's basically just a wink and a nod and a handshake. And the the Republicans keep just doing whatever the hell they want to. And Democrats are always reluctant to use the powers that they have because it would violate those norms. Violate those norms. They're doing it. They're fucking evil asshole dickbag fuckfaces. Like, take advantage of it. Blast my norm, (sighs) baby. Yeah. All right. Wreck my norms. News the second. I want you to come over, destroy my my norms so hard I can't have any norms for the next four years. Wow, just like the the norm of all norms, it's like a you know a wrist thick norm all up in there. <laughs> enter, <laughs> enter and destroy my norms. <laughs> News the second, Greater, yeah. So, uh, have you been following this Yeshiva University thing? Oh, don't know what you're talking about. So, I guess uh, no. Okay, great. So the United States Supreme Court ordered Yeshiva University to recognize an LGBTQ student group. Everything I read everything. So when you say words out loud, I don't know what, you know, like I've been reading about things. I don't talk about the news except with anyone but you. That's a lie, but okay. Yeah, I also don't tend to hear things out loud that often. Yeah. Interesting, except here. Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. In fact, I might be. 75% 75% of my audio news content. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would advise you and your news sources, which is you, against that. But. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's, so, so it's, just, this guy agrees with everything, I think. <laughs> you listening to you about you. Okay. So Yeshiva University, which is a modern Orthodox Jewish institution had a group of students that wanted to be the LGBTQ, the Yeshiva University LGBTQ student group. Yeshiva University said, no, that violates our religious traditions, and we don't want that. So the students sued, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they voted five to four, not that it was okay, but they voted five to four that the student group must be allowed pending a lower court decision. So they sent it back to a lower court and said, in the meantime, you have to let this student organization exist. Yeshiva University, their response, like basically the next day, was then fine. Zero student organizations on our campus at all. Get rid of all of them. Stop. Stop everything you're doing. Stop it. If I can't get what I want, no one gets anything, a.k.a. the Republican philosophy. Sorry, this isn't Republican. I mean, it's religious, you know, but what's the difference? But sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which that's also interesting because you, you, it is the Republican philosophy and Jews aren't necessarily universally Republican, right? The, like, Yes, the, yes, that's true. This is a different religion than the one in charge mostly, but it has the same, at least in this case, has the same conservative viewpoint of, you know towards lgbt people yeah rabbi ari berman the institution's president said quote every faith-based university in the country has the right to work with its students including its lgbtq students to establish the clubs places and spaces that fit within its faith tradition yeshiva university simply seeks that same right of self-determination and yeah and the students what are you talking about then the students determined they wanted it yeah. If, if that if any of that was actually true and not just BS, like what you literally said is students and us get to decide it together. And the student said, we want this. And you said, well, no, no, no. But you don't do it that way. Yeah. Do it the way we, we want you to want it. I also think this is super awesome. 
the the students when they sued they sued in uh, a state supreme court in Manhattan and uh, under laws that that bar discrimination and the court ruled that the university had to recognize the group because the university is incorporated as an educational institution not a religious one so oh. they're like it just says your college sorry <laughs> huh um yeah yeah so it's yeah it's super super interesting and uh we'll be watching this story carefully because religion is terrifying and it is especially terrifying in this fucking backwards ass country and uh the the screams are getting louder from the shitbirds yeah but it is uh, this is is an interesting case that the conservative religious group that is doing this thing is not you know, I just jumped right to still making fun of Christianity somehow because that I don't know. That's I, I will continue to do that. But yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that that's not um, the case in this one. Yep. 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 I wonder, you know, like, you know, their tradition of <laughs> cutting off foreskin and sucking on little baby dicks. I think yeah, if sure. you I mm-hmm. think I think he should have to say if he has sucked on a, a little baby dick and if he has then he's not i don't care what that rabbi's opinion is you know what that, oh. that excludes your the validity of your opinion sure yeah yeah that's that's a bold statement kyle <laughs> I, that's just something i can't get over that i this that was not at all what this story is about but i can't get over that that's a thing we're okay with right and we're the ones that get called like groomers or pedophiles right but that skin's got to go, Kyle, because I, God will be angry. I, I guess so. <laughs> Sorry, that was news story 2.5. That wasn't yeah. actually part of this news story. Totally, totally fine. Okay, news the last. Great. We have to talk about the new live action Little Mermaid. And oh. it, the, it might not be in the way that you you think. So, okay. uh, uh, first of all, hey, Kyle. Hey, Mike. That girl black. Yeah, she is black. <laughs> uh and uh, she wants to be where the people are too right yes 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 so a a, disney is releasing a a live action remake of uh the little mermaid and because the role of ariel has been cast as a black person um apparently white people are losing their goddamn minds people are doing the like like jesus santa and mermaids are white they just are (laughs) freaking the fuck out yeah. Which is ludicrous. Luda. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I love this little piece of history that started floating around the internet today. So the thing is, they keep talking about Hans Christian Andersen as being a Dutch writer and therefore, or Danish writer, and therefore all of the characters need to be white because like there were no black people in, in, in Denmark at, at, at that time. Like that was his vision, blah, 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 blah. Well, that kind of bites people in the ass who think that because uh, there's a lot of scholarship that says that The Little Mermaid is actually about uh, uh, gay love. So it was it was uh, written by Anderson to his close friend, Edward Cullen, who he was allegedly in love with. I was going to say close friend. Whenever you talk about history and use the phrase (laughs) close friend, I'm like, sorry, you can't use the word homosexual, but... Yep, yep. Anderson had written several letters and poems to Colin throughout their friendship, and much of his writing declared deep romantic feelings for the other man, expressing that his feelings were like those of a woman's. Anderson was rejected, however, and The Little Mermaid was written that same year that Colin announced his engagement to a woman. And um, the the look, look this is a this is an article written by Jessica Winarski, 
says, looking deeper into the story, the metaphor becomes quite clear. The mermaid has a strong curiosity for the human world from the beginning of the story, even before meeting the prince. She wants to feel the sun and dance like the humans do, feeling very connected to their world and uncomfortable in her own. She goes so far as to make a deal with the sea witch to change the parts of herself she doesn't like in order to make herself fit in more with them and try to win the prince's affections. Clearly, the mermaid is a stand-in for Anderson himself, while the prince is a stand-in for Colin. Um, there's, there's, there's just, there's just a whole, there's just a whole, whole thing about it. But I just, I demand, I demand that the movie continue with, like, be true to its roots and bring back the butt sex. What? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do I don't think mermaids have butts. Ursula, please give me a hole with which to, to be penetrated. Yes, do it. Let's 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 rewrite some of those songs, gayish style. That would what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, it 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 turns out that there are, there are quite a few people who think that Hans Christian Andersen wrote that because of his unrequited gay love for this 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 boy, and uh, I I think that we all should remember that. We all should remember that. And when like once she was able to pretend to fit in with that like community. She wasn't able to speak. So it's like when you do try to blend in to fit all the people she ex- expected and saw with legs that were dancing all around and stuff, mm-hmm. she could, she could be there, but not talk. There's a, that's a, yeah. Yeah. That's also very meaningful. Yeah. Also who the fuck cares? Like, why are you doing like, why are people doing research into no, she needs to be white. Cause Hans Christian, she's a fucking mermaid in the water. She was a cartoon. I don't right. care what race he was or what race he thought she was like, that doesn't even fucking matter. Yep. Yep. They, yep. they, you're, yep. they can yep. pull out their history books for something that is, has no relevance to any of this. It's come so super full circle that anything, anything anti-racist is wokeness and all wokeness is bad. So I hate it. So like you could basically get people to be for or against anything you want to by manipulating them by just using the specter of wokeness and or socialism. It, yeah. like they, they don't even know what it means anymore, except like basket of shit that I'm opposed to. And, oh yeah, woke is just an adjective that describes something I feel vaguely threatened by and <laughs> and don't want to do any personal introspection on. That's right. like the definition of woke these days. The number of posts on this subject that I've seen that begin with I'm not racist but dot 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 <laughs> and just like you fucking are. If you yeah. start an argument with that sentence, you are. Yeah. Um, lastly, before we wrap up the news, I do have an update. So, uh, I don't know if you remember, but a long time ago, I talked about Jeremy David Hansen of Rosemore, California, um, who apparently threatened the Merriam Webster employees (laughs) that make the dictionary for, for, for being too woke about gender issues. Uh, but, uh, he has pled guilty in a plea deal to charges of interstate communication for threatening and is going to jail. That boy going to jail. Was it the, did they update the definition of the word woman or they added the word, something about gender that I, I now forget that he. Yeah, they, they, they updated, they updated the entries for girl and woman. And then he wrote, quote, your headquarters should be shot up and bombed. It is sickening that you have caved to the cultural Marxist anti-science tranny agenda. Sorry. Ooh. I just, the way I was reading. Uh, and altered the definition of female as part of the left's efforts to corrupt and degrade the English language and deny reality. You evil Marxists should all be killed. I, it would be poetic justice to have someone storm your offices and shoot up the place, leaving none of you commies alive. Um, he made other threats after that uh, via their contact us page, which apparently they read. <laughs> 
through the con that okay it's god there's just such a like that through the contact us page like why <laughs> that's all horrifying and then you leave it on that and i'm like god that's funny it's not it's not at all but like I guess, I guess they said contact us, and right. you know what? <laughs> contact them, he did. Uh, he's scheduled to be sentenced in January. He faces up to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. That's the news. That's the news. Um, uh, speaking of people who I would love to contact us, um, are, <laughs> I don't know, the following Patreon members. Thank you to Scott Bean. Thanks, Scott Bean. And Bill Chin. Thank you for oh. each having one syllable names that I can easily pronounce correctly. Scott Bean Bill Chin. That sounds like a song to me. Oh, I want to be where Scott Bean and Bill Chin is. <laughs> um, <laughs> someone cut that. Uh, if you want bonus content episodes uh, to hang out with us every quarter to get, you know, just a feeling of supporting an independent LGBT um, uh, group of fuckheads, go to patreon.com slash gayish podcast do it do you want to talk about a little before we bring danny on yeah before do you want to talk we bring a, danny on do you want to talk a little bit about the real world mtv gays and danny yes i want to talk about all of those things okay. also we totally got this episode because derek is in love with them <laughs> <laughs> harassed him until he came on the show we did it uh sure <laughs> at the end you you looped the word we into that so yeah. that's a fun thing that we now get to do when <laughs> um uh, but but danny from new from from real world new orleans uh is is going to be on on the show and uh, like i don't know a single person who is you know 35 to 45 that doesn't know exactly who this person is like at did that, you watch the real world like did is this in your well, way to fucking spoiler alert kyle what? i was gonna talk to i was gonna talk to him about this oh well we can we no we can we don't have to eat nothing has been spoiled yet well okay if you want to talk to him about it we can i can't because you, you brought it up and i have no filter i have no <laughs> i have no impulse control when it comes to my mouth hole you do because you're literally talking about it and haven't said anything yet. So you get to you, Mike, this moment, this is a pivotal moment. Look inside yourself and you get to make a decision right now. What do you want to do? What do you want to talk about? I, I, I just, oh. Okay. I don't know a single person between 35 and 45 that doesn't know exactly who this person is. And, and um, it, it, that's, that's because in the late nineties, early two thousands, the real world was like, a huge ass deal and the fact that there was a gay person on there was a huge ass deal and the fact that they had to blur his boyfriend's face because he would get kicked out of the military was a huge ass deal like the the the, the cultural phenomenon to people of a certain age that he represents is just really really awesome and powerful and it's interesting his whole life is just fascinating yeah yeah, yeah. I was very much grew up MTV generation. I would come home after school and watch TRL with Carson Daly. So mm. um, it was <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> Boy, I'm uncomfortable with that noise. Um, Great. And and so yeah, I watched all the Real Worlds. I watched this season. I I you know I and this is also back when you couldn't watch things on the internet so you had to watch things at a certain time MTV yep. did this thing where they played it at multiple times so you might catch the later airing of the same thing but you had to you had to like watch it at a time um 
yeah to to prep for this i watched a few like clips and episodes of the real world and boy it brought me back to a time and place where i remember seeing him on the show talking about his boyfriend being very very handsome uh and then his boyfriend like came over yeah blurred face and they would like kiss and i would like i got the tingles that i didn't understand like yeah Yeah. this was uh this was must have been one of if not the earliest gay representation i ever saw on tv yep yep absolutely that that wasn't like uh, we've talked about a lot of different kinds of gay representation before but like not the villain not the victim not like this was just a fully integrated character in the middle of a, a maelstrom of bullshit because it was reality TV. But like something about his like personhood too was so um, like, I don't know, compelling, genuine. And um, it, it, it felt like a healthy representation of a gay person or something, despite all the drama. I don't know. And hopefully yeah. we can, we can talk to him more about like how much of that is real and, and, uh, the pressures that he faced as as that happened and what life has been like since that kind of stuff yeah afterwards there's been there it's it's wild to to think that you know all all the people that we remember from the real world then moved on he has a, he has a tech job like he you know he had to move on and he is uh, there's a lot of interesting things that we'll talk about uh, his life since then and him revisiting that part of his life especially recently we'll talk about that too yeah yeah absolutely more do you want mike you managed to hold it back you don't you didn't oh you, girl it was you, so close it was so close <laughs> i was close we should we, we, we should go to we should go to break before i come all over the place <laughs> i hate it goodbye see everyone tune in no, next no, week did, oh. sorry did, did you have, did you have more before we take a break no please end this now <laughs> oh, okay great well when we come back we're gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna have danny roberts danny from the real world new orleans and the real world homecoming new orleans should we take a break let's take a break let's take a break <clears throat> what nothing so are we back we're back we're back we're here with danny roberts who is a cultural touchstone we're going to talk about all of that uh but danny welcome to the show thank you guys i appreciate you having me here yeah absolutely we're, we're super stoked that you're on um first i think we're the same age are we 35 Yep, 35, going on 36 here in just a little bit. Uh, no, a, a perfect 45. It's a good number. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm 43, turning 44. Okay, uh, it's all the same at this point. Right, ex- exactly, exactly. And They're good years. It, yeah, we've been talking a lot as a, as, like, because you're going to be on the show about like what it was like in the late 90s and early 2000s and sort of how it's changed for, for gay people on, on TV. Are you the king of the MTV gays? Uh, I don't know if that's true. I think it depends on your uh, opinions, tastes, and your age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, to me... To, listen, to me, it's Eric Nies. Done. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, b- before we went to break, uh, I was talking about how, like, uh, I-, I watched The Real World New Orleans in, in-, in 2000, and... At that time, I was deeply, deeply closeted, and I was in a fraternity. And we would, as as a fraternity, we would watch the real world together. And okay, you, so that's a dead giveaway. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but, but you were you were definitely a topic of conversation, and it was just. I don't know. You were like vaguely threatening to my like ability to stay in the closet, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but I, I really appreciated the season and, and, and all of that. How did you get started even doing that? Yeah. How the hell did I end up in that uh, blender? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the short version of the story is I graduated university in 1999 mm-hmm. um, and I left Athens with an education degree but I had absolutely decided during my student teaching that I w- was not ready or, or, or interested in teaching formally at that point. So I, I was, you know, what am I doing with my life? What is next? What am I, what am I, where am I going to go? And a friend of mine talked me into going to open tryouts, super random, probably the last thing I thought that I would be uh, seeking out looking for at that point. <laughs> And it just all fell into place. Who knew? You've mentioned that there's like a certain set of people that recognize you. Um, do you like when people recognize you? Is that frustrating or annoying? Do you, like how do you feel about it these days? Um, it's none of those things. It is uh, flattering and uh, makes me super anxious too. It is just it's an odd an odd thing like. I don't, it's just not, it's not normal for that to happen in in most human lives. We're not, we're not designed for that sort of degree level of human interaction. Most of us have our social bubbles that we live in for the most part, but when your social bubble opens up to the world, yeah, it can get pretty weird. Yeah. I read several things. They use similar words to describe you and they were both wholesome came up a bunch and confident sexuality that phrase specifically came up several times which was interesting D- do you identify with wholesome and confident sexuality uh i think i am a multifaceted person i think uh those those two things are kind of contradictory in a way <laughs> and i don't know maybe that is a good description of me in many ways <laughs> Lots of contradictory facets. Um, I, I, uh, I I was thinking about this because I had a feeling that that would come up. I, I, I hear I hear this a lot, and it's and it's ironic to me because the reality is is like I was only partially out, even like to myself, when I was chosen to do this show, and it was an, it was a catalyst for me to come out. So was I truly confident about it? Absolutely not. But this, it was such a catalyst and energizing force uh, to be confident about it at the right stage of my life. And also, when I think back, I was in a, you know, a bubble for six straight months filming, and it was safe, and I was a cocoon. So it was a lot easier to, to feel confident about it. When the reality is, is as soon as, you know, this thing began to air and and feed out into the world and I went on and started living my real life again, even though people uh, viewed me through the edit as being sexually confident, I was not so much. Hmm. I think from growing up in a religious environment, I have been driven to avoid shame around sex, Hmm. sex, not sexuality, two different things there. Sure, yeah. And then I had fun, wild girlfriends and boyfriends in college. 
who helped me push boundaries. That's what college is for, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and you're not doing it right if that's not part of your your education. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, so I've I've heard you talk about the the parasocial relationship before of like when you're on TV and and you're it, people are consuming your person through an edited lens such as it is they like feel like they know you but this is like a studied psychological phenomenon that people like can't help themselves but feel like they know you and th- that can be that can be really bizarre it's a it's a surreal experience like like you just said. I'm curious, though, like what what percentage are real life Danny and real world Danny alike? Um, I think one thing that uh, probably the majority of people who meet me, whether it's like in a work setting, social setting, where whatever the setting, you don't get a huge variation. And, and this is for better and for worse sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, we all wear masks to a certain degree in different settings. It's a human thing. Um, and I, there, there's not a, there's not a huge gap and a huge difference. I mean, my friends, you know, who even have watched the most recent show we just did still watch and go, yeah, that's totally you. It cracks me up. Mm. All, the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm. I think with pairs, social relationships, I think this show particularly is one that is, highly tuned to create parasocial relationships because when you think about the whole premise, it's people's real life stories captured on film, narrated, edited. It's like almost designed to create those kinds of relationships. But you're right. It has been greatly studied now, but for the longest time, I didn't understand at all what it actually was. Like, um, honestly, it was Melissa in the past couple of years who really got me to understand that concept. Mm-hmm. And then so much of the past made so much new sense. Hmm. Thank you, Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa is my in-house therapist. <laughs> Shout out to Melissa. <laughs> uh, you've talked about a lot of other kind of struggles you've dealt with after the show from just kind of reeling and not knowing how to kind of then go on to the actual real world. What other skills or tools do you wish you knew about or had, you know, 10, 20 years ago? Yeah. I was just hanging out with Norm who was from the the first season and there's your, and there's your like gay daddy of real world. Norm. (laughs) Uh, So you know, Norm and I have uh, connected on and off for uh, uh, over the years. And ironically enough, along with a story, parasocial relationships, he actually spent 10 years chatting with someone on Facebook that he thought was me. And it was an, actually an imposter. So holy all shit. these years, he thought he was chatting with me. And I was thinking, this guy's an asshole. I wish he'd reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> so... We've wow. since realized this and connected and shared a lot of stories. And it's a bummer that all that, that time was stolen. I honestly wish we were talking about this uh, recently. And I was like, Norm, I wish I had known you and others, especially you, though, early on to understand what these parasocial relationships are, what's going on, and the kinds of people uh, that, that get drawn into that and some, some of their behaviors. You know, some of the stories Norm shared with me, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I went through so much of that, too, thinking that, you know, was I losing my mind half the time? 
And I just wish I had known early on, like, oh, okay, watch out for these things and, and these types of people and relationships. Life would have been a hell of a lot easier through this period. Not to say it would have been a cakewalk. Um, you know, at the end of the day, my, my situation was so different and unique. It was uh, what made it a challenge for me really was uh, the fact that leaving that safe bubble of production and going off into the real world, I... You know, I was still with uh, my boyfriend at the time who was in the military and stayed in for probably three more years mm -hmm. altogether, uh, which forced, ironically, you know, I had to go sort of live a whole new closeted life again, except to an extreme, just really living under the radar to protect his identity. Um, and it was a super unhealthy way to live. At the time, I thought it was noble and the right thing to do, and it's what you do when you're, you know, really care about somebody. But it was super toxic. It's like not healthy for any human to live like that, and it definitely poisons a relationship. Once the show fully aired and it was out in the universe, and if you remember back then, that show would just air on reruns nonstop yep. <laughs> for like two more years. Yeah. So you could just never get away from it. It's not like streaming where people go binge consume it at once and then move on and forget about it it is constantly in your face for years and then it wasn't until like year four that he finally got out of the military and and the and the big piece of it was he wasn't just in the military uh when when gays were banned in the military it was the fact that he was also a captain in an elite unit so you know, mm -hmm. he had to be extra, extra careful. He wasn't just some schmuck young guy in a low rank where nobody would actually really care. He was in a leadership position. So it was, it was, uh, and we lived in a small community in the South still too, where he was stationed. That was the other really tough part. I was desperate to leave the South at that stage in my life. Ended up in New Orleans because <laughs> yeah. I'm from the Atlanta area. Ended up on the show praying. Maybe I was going, we were being sent to Europe got sent to new orleans i will say ended up be, being a gift new orleans is now one of my favorite cities in the world um and then ended up in north carolina where he was stationed <laughs> for a yeah, couple yeah. more years so this whole time this was all happening you know i'm living in a small town in the south and by the way at, at this you know at this point in time it was very not kosher to be out and south out and about it was it was not safe at all yeah. Uh, especially when you think of when you like think about the time frame, this was like a year after Matthew Shepard and that mm -hmm. was still huge in the media and everyone was you know, really on edge in general. And a lot of things were happening really quickly too. Yeah. It was an, it was a really intense time. And man, have how have things changed so drastically, even in just like the past 10 years, it's wild. Yeah, well, and, and, and Paul uh, said to you in the, the newer show, because you had a, a reunion on, on, on the and, air for and that. And production insisted that <laughs> Paul needed to be part of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I was going to ask about that, too. But um, uh, he, he said to you something about um, that, that he, he always thought of you as really brave. The, the, the quote was, a gay man on TV now is nothing. Back then it was mind-blowing. And I, I, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that was interesting for me to hear because it was the first time I'd ever heard it out of his mouth. Yeah. I think there probably was a big part of him that admired someone being that out because it's probably what he was so hungering for deep down, even if he didn't cognitively recognize it at the time. 
So it made sense to me. But yeah, that was interesting. Um, Yeah, that was that was a surprise. And by the way, for your listeners, uh, you you could tell the the setup was a bit fabricated. Um, The reality is, is like they had flown Paul down from Seattle (laughs) like a week before to be quarantined. And the whole thing was like very produced. It was not just this random surprise. He flew into town, like popped in on a bus or something the way it appeared. Yeah. But Paul still lives there in our, our, our old house that we used to live in together. Oh, wow. He can help. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the way it was shot and edited, it, it you would have thought maybe he lived in New Orleans and was just going to like. Right. It makes it appear around, as if right? we're like having a text and he's driving across town. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it was all <laughs> very premeditated. And honestly, I, 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 I was not super keen on dragging him back into the whole thing. I thought mm-hmm. it was, you know, the thing that was kind of brushed over was a lot was talked about how that period was difficult for me. But to be fair, it you didn't get a clear picture of it just as it was just as difficult for him mm-hmm. in a very different way. Um, he was the one that was actually in the military, <laughs> like yeah. pay, doing doing the work, paying the dues, living in that day to day. That kind of got swept over in that in that conversation. But it, yeah, it, it sucked for both of us, to be honest. Uh, when you're you know you're young, you're in love and lust, you're not thinking about a year down the road <laughs> the consequences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You're talking a lot about, uh, about a lot of the challenges that happened after your season came out and you did recently decide to go back and film, you know, you decided to do it again. What was that kind of decision-making process and, and why did you decide to go back and do another run? Yeah. Good question. I wrote everyone I think has this question. What the hell were you doing back there? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had asked me just a couple of years before, I, I likely would would say no. Um, you'd have to shove me into it. But uh, to be straight honest, a big part of it this time was uh, the compensation that was involved this time. I will not lie. It, I'm I'm a single parent. I have a six year old daughter that I adopted, and you know immediately I'm like, okay, there's the college funds. So mm-hmm. there's a huge practical reason. But that still wouldn't have never been enough. The cash part is, you know, just a tiny bit of the equation. John, who's the the head of Buna Murray Productions, um, the company that produces the show, and just about every other reality show out there, um, he actually contacted me first directly (laughs) to to gauge my willingness. Um, And I have a history with John. And he knows my feelings about the entire thing. And... Really, it boiled down to the degree of control that we were handed this time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, Melissa uh, and Kelly and I had a lot of conversations and debates, pros and cons. It boiled down really to having autonomy and control over the narrative this time. You know, we were, whereas the first time it was being filmed for six months and then surprise, here's the edit. (laughs) This time it was, we were included in the pre-production process, uh, making it very clear what stories we were interested in sharing. Um, And, you know, that was sort of part of the negotiation and the contract was an understanding like if you want us to come, here's the things we're coming for. And this is what I'm not coming for. 
there's a, a way more risk in doing it at this stage in life for sure. Um, especially when you know how the whole process can work. Mm. Um, it felt a lot safer this time a lot. And the only part was, was we had all lost touch with each other for pretty much 22 years. And that never felt right. It always felt like something that should have never happened. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to actually get the opportunity to reconnect with these people that at this point in life, you started, we, I think we all started assuming like, we'll probably never gain touch with each other again. So much time has passed. It just, how is that going to happen and, and not be forced? We all live in different parts of the country different, totally different lives, all have children. Um, so that was kind of a gift to get to go back and reconnect. And that was probably the most incredible part was like, it's unfortunate we did lose touch with each other because I think we all really could have supported each other through these years as we were each going through our own whatever this brought into our lives, which it, it did bring something extreme into each of our lives in good and bad ways. Um, but just in hard 90 degree turns <laughs> in yeah. all of our lives. And it would have just been so great if we had been there for each other. And back in those years, I think part of the reason we lost touch with each other was it was uh, maybe a bit of a survival mechanism. Like let's put that whole experience in a box and tuck it away, including those relationships. And it's safe there. And I'm going to just carry on with my life and occasionally maybe peep in that box and go, wow, (laughs) that was insane. Yeah. 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 In, in, I think it was an interview you did with Dave Holmes where you talked about other things that helped you kind of be prepared to do that. And one was dealing with uh, the PTSD from this and understanding that and also shrooms. <laughs> I'm curious to elaborate on maybe both of those. Yeah. I mean, they kind of fell hand in hand. I always, I think strongly the universe plays its hand when the time is right. I had connected a lot of dots. I sort of, through my just on years of study and research and reading and understanding had stumbled into and realized so much of what I had battled through my demons in in my own mind, which so much of it came from this period. I just never had the tools to understand it. And I suddenly uh, started to connect the dots and realize like, Oh, all of these, you know, various uh, symptoms that I experience and, and the the challenges that I face, oh, they're all interconnected. They're all tied together. And that's what the root is. And I started, I started seeing a therapist for a bit there and he specialized. Uh, of course, I can't say his name because of course mm-hmm. this is not <laughs> legal, yeah. uh, but he happened to also accidentally have an underground practice with psilocybin which i was already doing on my own microdosing anyhow that i sort of uh stumbled into around the same time completely separately so it just like all wove together perfectly all at the same time Mm -hmm. um and then it was kind of like that i gained the tools and then it was like seeing the matrix oh yeah (laughs) It all makes painful, obvious sense now. Um, But, you know, a few years ago, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at all. And I was deep in trying to make sense of it and untangle it. And there's so few people you can turn to in life who do understand the tangle that that this kind of experience creates. But, yeah, I'll tell you, microdosing has been incredible for me. 
doesn't mean it's for everyone, but I, uh, I highly, highly value that experience. And I think it's a, it's a tool that actually could be incredibly helpful to a lot of people. And I think yeah. the FDA is considering it, right? Like, like, yeah, I, you know, it is piecemeal, locally being legalized in places. I think it's just, I think it's kind of the next wave after full legalization of marijuana. I think, um, Maybe, who knows, maybe multiple psychedelics will be decriminalized. And we're not talking recreation. I mean, listen, I'll be honest. I did plenty of recreational mushrooms in college, too. (laughs) (laughs) They were formative in my my growing experience in my younger days. Uh, But it's an incredibly different experience when you're talking the difference between recreational tripping your ass off and microdosing. Um, I think a lot of people hear it and they're like, whoa, I don't know about that. I don't, I can't see going through my day hallucinating. It's right. not that at all. Um, nothing is, like that. What is the experience like and, and what, what does it offer? Yeah. I describe it to people as it's actually, you know, everybody always asks, well, what am I going to feel? What do you feel? And I, my answer is, is it's less about what you feel. It's more about what you don't feel. It just, it, it gives you just this sort of warm glow energy. And it's what it really is, is empathy. And you're feeling, you're letting your barriers down. You're being open to connecting to people around you in the most subtle way. And it's having an empathy for yourself. Um, even if you're not like highly cognizant of it, that's what's really going on. And, and it just quiets the chatter that goes on in your brain. So many of us, you know, you just your brain is cycling nonstop, especially in day to day as you're going through your crazy life through the city or whatever the case, um, you know, it just turns that off and there's quiet and peace and you feel just more connected to the moment. Um, but it's very, very subtle. Again, it's more what you don't feel or sense, you know, it's a two or three hour experience. Sometimes you feel nothing whatsoever. It's just happening in your neurons kyle that's what you said about mushrooms you and danny are the same person <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean yeah like uh, i didn't fully understand my anxiety until i did shrooms because i had never before like how else can you turn your anxiety off and and i was like holy shit the day-to-day anxiety that i feel i didn't even know that there was another option and right. it becomes so your norm that you don't realize it's there until it's not you're like what what is that that feels different and amazing? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not racked with anxiety. Yeah. 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 I yeah. I, I have done shrooms recre- recreationally a handful of times and I love them. I would I would absolutely like I've told therapists and medical health people, like as the second this is a, approved, sign me up. I, I I think this could be a very useful thing. So it, it's it's shitty when people uh, you know, don't have judgments based on like not knowing or understanding the medicine behind it. Yeah. I think that's about to change quickly though. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling positive about it. We'll have to connect on that subject offline. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about stereotypes a little bit, if I could, is there's a, uh, an episode that I, I rewatched for this interview season nine, episode three, and you're on a run with one of the girls, one of the blonde ones, uh, you're, you're on a run. And she, and she says, uh, so are you into interior design? And, <laughs> and then, and then later on in the episode is talking about how like 
whether it's a choice or not and 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 you you respond that it, you know if i could be straight my life would be so easy but to me at least it seemed like you were straight passing at least on the show i'm wondering if you agree with that assessment and and whether whether you realize that you sort of weren't the flamboyant campy gay character which is interesting because the way that I experience that uh, topic in my life, especially at that point, was having grown up in the rural South where men are hyper macho. Mm. And, we, and we, so when you're not that, which I'm not, um, to me, in my lived experience, I was I was not straight passing. Mm. Um it's so, you know, it's very, I guess, relative to the environment that you're speaking of, but that's not at all how I view myself. Um, I was hyper-conscious and, and, and very much did not my, see myself in that way. I was just so accustomed to where I grew up. And even though I was highly closeted, even to myself, um, didn't even have the tools to understand much of what gay was other than just the most outrageous stereotypes. Um, it was just so taboo in my community. It was not talked about unless it was in an incredibly negative or condescending way. Um, I just, I distanced myself from it cause it was not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and absolutely stomped it out and, and denied it in myself growing up. Um, it just wasn't an option in my mind. And I, yeah, so I, I was always hyper conscious that I was different from those around me and they sensed it too. Um, even though, you know, I was not out or even remotely understanding of my sexuality, I was very accustomed to being called a fag and things like that back then, just mm -hmm. from being the slightest bit different. It's interesting for like for national television in the year 2000, uh, it, it just seemed like a choice was being made to have a relatively masked, relatively straight passing gay person on, on TV and not have it be, you know, just Jack from Will and Grace. Right. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's very, it's fascinating to me that that's not how you would think of yourself. Yeah. I totally understand. That's how a lot of viewers saw me. Uh, but that's, that was something I was never comfortable with and struggled with back then. It, yeah you know, being described in one way by people that just felt alien to me. Yeah. Super interesting. How do, how do you unlearn all of those or figure out what's real about yourself when you go through so much of your life basing yourself on what others see in, see in you? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that most of us have, have dealt with at least some point in our life. I think many of us don't recognize it and unravel um, or find themselves. And I think, you know, for a lot of us, as I think it becomes a lifelong process when you've grown up program being programmed and programming yourself that way, it then becomes a lifelong process to deprogram it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something I want to ask about is uh, you talked about uh, in 2018 that you got, di you were diagnosed with HIV um, in 2011 and I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the misunderstandings and struggles you had to go through in accepting that. Yeah. Perfect example of what we're just talking about. Uh, you know, those of us that grew up in the nineties, we were terrified of HIV. 
I also grew up with a, a, a nurse mom, so I was a hypochondriac. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew way too much about sexually transmitted diseases from her textbooks that I loved perusing through that had me completely paranoid by the time I was a teenager. And, you know, with that said, I was always incredibly careful when I was young. I was a big driver of why I, uh, partly why I was always seeking to have a long-term relationship. I just wanted to be safe. Um, it was, you know, it was like, the truth was, was if you contracted it back then, it was, it was not a pretty picture, um, guaranteed. So anyhow, you know, being diagnosed way later in life, you know, at this point I was somewhere in my mid thirties was such a shock, (laughs) like the last thing on my mind, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just mind blowing and very unprepared to deal with it. Uh, because the toughest part of it, I'll say, was actually moving through deprogramming the shame mm-hmm. and bias that was deeply burrowed into my head that was always truly there. And as in most of our heads, we just all bury it and kid ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when you are faced with your mortality and uh, an illness that carries a lot of baggage with it, you quickly are forced to uh, recognize what your baggage is <laughs> and uh, and face it. And that was, that was painful. Um, there's, there was like so much shame in, in me about it, which I had never genuinely recognized at all that like I was carrying a bit of bias and, and shame against just, people with HIV and that was on me. And I think a lot of us have that in our heads. Um, a lot of people I've talked to who are positive now, like have been through something very similar, but you recognize right away, um, this is going to make me grow to get past this quickly. You know, and this is a choice too, an active choice where I can let this destroy me right now. Like there's a fork in the road. You have to make a hard turn one way or the other. Um, so it was a huge growing period in my life. Um, over a three-year period, shaking off the shame, which then, you know, you just get down in the layers of the onion. Okay, yeah. that's just the top layer, the shame around this this sexually transmitted disease, which is actually really tied to being shamed about being homosexual back in the day. And the two were intertwined in most people's head. And that's the messaging that was fed into our minds back in that period. So you just unravel all of that shit. Yeah. And on the other side of it, though, is like, I don't know, probably the healthiest, most freeing period I've felt in my entire life where I just felt like, yeah, uh, there, a lot of a lot of baggage was unloaded in that period. And I wasn't out. I, I it was also just an entire just like a whole new coming out process too. you move through the layers of shame, regret, disappointment, anger, denial. You go through all those stages <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, come into peace with this. This is a part of me now. And I'm actually for me to move on in life. I, you know, you, you're forced to just reexamine everything, your relationship with yourself, with others. Um, so in a weird way, it was a gift. <laughs> That's the way I look at it spiritually now. So life gives us what we're meant to have. And, and uh, this was a strange I flip it around and look at it as a gift, uh, a huge growing process. And also there's something beautiful in be, being given a second chance in life because thank God we live in the era we do now medicines. 
amazing. Yeah. Spe- speaking about that, like, do you do you have a, a emotional reaction or a spiritual reaction to prep and and how it's changed the game and and that it was so so soon really that that game changed so soon after your diagnosis? Yeah, really. it's such a different picture, you know. And for a long time, I think. I think we were not allowed, you know, there was a layer of shame that came with, with, uh, sexuality back in the day because it was dangerous in many ways because of HIV. Mm-hmm. So for like the first time in, in my life, in our lives, you can see young guys being able to not live with that layer of fear and shame. Yeah. And it's totally changed the picture. Um, and fortunately for me, it sucks. I contracted HIV probably a year before PrEP became widely available and insurance companies started to cover it. So I, I just just missed the window. Yeah. But it is what it is. It's part of my story now. Um, I And I just I, I flipped the script and decided that with the platform that I have and my background, I, I, would, I felt like it was my responsibility to to speak out and be honest about it too yeah um and it's it has been a big part of my journey i mean the the oddest part is at this point in time being positive you get entirely different reactions from people you know you may meet people you meet people in seattle a city like seattle who are incredibly informed and uh understand the medicine and it's not a big deal. You meet someone yeah, yeah. in Yakima and they are terrified of you. Uh, you know, they're immediately, they're asking you, are you going to die? Right. Um, yeah. Many people still live in a nineties mindset with it. Um, it hmm. It's just, it's a very interesting time, even within the gay community. Um, I've had, I, I was newly single. <laughs> uh, I, I, probably three or four years into, uh, being positive and you know, and I hadn't dated in 10 years. So yeah, yeah. I was already like not equipped for dating, especially in this digital era. But that was a whole new thing to navigate was then learning how to date again and being positive, you know, and the, the array of reactions were wild. Um, I saved some of the extreme ones just as a reminder of like, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Wow, that yeah. still exists out there. You know, I was going to ask, what is scruff like in Vermont? But I- <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I will say scruff was has worked out for me. My, I met my boyfriend on there when I when I started living here full time during the pan- start of the pandemic. I met him probably six months into being here on, on scruff. He just happened to live right down the road. That's been perfect. You you can like meet someone for dating off of scruff. You can. Huh. Uh, it's very difficult in a place like Vermont where like the closest guys often 40 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> your, your grid is like just three faces and a no. Yeah. The grid is picking up like Montreal and Boston. Cause there's so few in between. <laughs> you talked about when like given your position that talking about HIV was important. It, it seems like all of this comes back to what you shared with us, you made a decision to go to casting and now you're like, you were one of the first gay people on TV and you're now an example. And now like no one else has to make these decisions of like, well, I'm an activist or an advocate for the LGBT community. It seems like that was kind of placed upon you. Do you, do you want to be an advocate for LGBT issues? Do you want to be this? Or do you feel like it's 
just kind of been forced upon you because of one decision you made uh, back in 2000? I don't, I don't think I feel strongly either way. Hmm. I feel like it may not have been something that I would have naturally seeked out on my own, but it was handed to me. The universe handed it to me. And in that sense, it's a gift. And I feel like if you're handed something, a gift like that, don't squander it. Um, I've just always tried to make the most of it in a way that feels genuine, that does not harm me or my life or people around me. Um, and that genuinely helps other people. I think probably the most meaningful part of this has been, even though completely accidentally being able to be so helpful to so many guys around the globe, which is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a way that like I wish I had when I was growing up, that's what it always boils down to me is like, what do I, what do I, what would I have really benefited from when I was young that I just did not have whatsoever. And that was hard. Yeah. Growing up today would be amazing. Maybe <laughs> way more dangerous. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot to weigh and, and, and juggle there, but in, in a lot of ways today is yes. So much more incredible than back in the day. Yeah, And we, you know what? And when we grew up, it was 10 times more incredible than the men who were growing up 20 years before us too. So I, I always try to keep that context. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, uh, Mike talked about him watching, which I'm still like kind of have my bl mind blown that Mike, you watch this with your like frat bros. I don't know. Yep. Did you like real world high fives and like chug beer, but yeah. <laughs> back in the day when I would go around and speak at schools, there was, very often that one frat house mm. with, a, 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 you know, there was always the one, one guy who I was like, mm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just, I'm always like, I always kind of assume like it's pro he probably got them all watching it. Right. <laughs> oh guys, I have this really great idea for no particular reason. Let's watch this show. <laughs> you guys are going to love this show, but then, yes, these guys actually genuinely would get into it and they would know the storylines too. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I, I grew up I was I was 14 when this aired. So this very much was you your relationship very much was this is like right in my demographic right in my era. You were one of the first gay people I can remember seeing on TV. I remember how jealous I was seeing you even like be with another guy. And I was like, you know, could just feel that inside me while I was I was watching this up in my room alone, you know. <laughs> Where is my guy? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this this you and your show and being public and visible meant a lot to me growing up. So thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's wild to me because all these years I used to assume that the majority of the people watching this show and who were relating to it were around my age at the time, which was early 20s. But from going back and doing this homecoming now and, and hearing from, from the people I've heard from, it does seem like at least what was most meaningful was to guys like you who were 13, 14, 15 at the time, which never, ever, ever dawned on me back then. Yeah, the New York um, Times talked about your impact on elder gay millennials, and I thought that, that, that was, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what you're describing, right? I'd never heard myself described in that way, and I still don't know if I love it, but yes. You know, <laughs> yes. I will say he he took that from uh, the comedian uh, Liza. Uh, she, oh, yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. He has an, a really hilarious special called Elder Millennial. 
Yeah, she's so good too. I think that's probably where he took it from, and she is so good. Liza Schlesinger? Yes, yes. She's incredible. She's absolutely incredible. So I know I know that we have to take a break here pretty soon, but I, I wanted to I wanted to really quick talk about the future. Like what's up what's up next for, for Danny in the, the real world? Uh, it is plunging back into the real world. Um, I am, you know, I, I mentioned before my daughter, that, that was something that was really jarring this time. Whereas the first time we filmed it, you know, we were young, single, we had no duties, no life. We were just kind of free to go and like do our thing afterwards. This time we had to leap straight back, literally straight back into parent, (laughs) Yeah. Job, life, responsibilities. And that was so jarring. Um, you know, this was like a sort of little golden month long break from reality and being thrown right back into the depths of it. Um, that was a lot. Dealing with an illogical six year old a day after dealing with illogical reality television. <laughs> a crazy leap. <laughs> But uh, I am working on a couple of cool projects that have been longtime dreams behind the scenes. I'm not going to go into details about them, but I am incredibly excited about them because they're not things that just have jumped leapt on the screen through this. There's some the things that I have dreamed on for years and thought about. And it's just this I've decided this is the right inflection point in my life to do this. Um, And there's a lot of that going on in my life right now. Like the things that I have thought about for years, it's time. Mm -hmm. Life is not getting shorter. I would say the theme in my life is uh, living incredibly more intentionally these days, sort of writing some of my own story and making sense of the, the story that I stumbled into back in the day. That's great. Uh, So, so did, did we do it? (laughs) <laughs> I, I, we talked a bunch so that great excellent so should we take a break let's take a break let's take a break this is the part where mike and kyle take a break so are, so are we back we're back <laughs> we're back uh we are gonna do our gayest straightest we're going to do our gayest straightest but first danny roberts where could people find out more about you what you're up to tell tell us all the things i really the the only place to find me on social is instagram i'm, I'm pretty active on there j danny roberts is my handle and uh i spend a really unhealthy amount of time on linkedin Great. I'm on there for work. I work in tech. Uh, it's a really disgusting site, but I'm on there a lot and you can find me there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and then what's going on in New Orleans? Yeah, you have a party coming up. I do. Um, speaking of Instagram, I, I, I'm going to be, I do and I will be posting more on there about this. But I am, this is a dream of mine I've had for years. My favorite holiday is Halloween. Okay, Christmas. Um, I particularly love going to New Orleans for Halloween. Um, I try to go every other year or so. And just regular old Halloween, too. There is there is actually a separate like gay circuit weekend, I think, is the weekend before that that is called Halloween. And that's what a lot of guys think I'm talking about. But I am talking about just straight up Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um New Orleans at Halloween is freaking amazing because that city goes all out with costumes. And it's really a local thing. This is not like one of the holidays like Jazz Fest or something where tons of tourists come into town. Lots of just block parties. People are in a great mood. 
incredible costumes is so fun. And my dream has always been is not just to go, but to actually go and throw a party. So I'm doing that this year. Um, some of some special guests will be there. We're not saying names yet. Um, Great. But it is Sunday, October the 30th, um, 7 to 9 p.m. is the core party itself. And then we're going to be doing a little after party next door. And um, there's only a few tickets left, but I'm, I, uh, you can find the link for the Eventbrite is on my bio page on Instagram. And it's really just an excuse to go to New Orleans and hang out and have fun and have a party. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we are also, all the, the money we raise, we're giving to Covenant House New Orleans, which is, uh, it's for homeless LGBT youth. Provides housing, services, counseling, tools, et cetera, which I think is incredibly important. And um, so we're going to have a freaking amazing time and do some good. And one of my friends is going to be there and do some body painting. If anybody wants to come and get your body painted, he's a pretty incredible artist and a cool dude too. That's awesome. It sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, this is how I know we're the same age. Your party starts at 7 p.m. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's not what I technically would have picked. It's what the, it's what the, uh, the cabaret gave us. But, um, yeah, it, the hours work for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, check it out on Danny's Instagram and, and, and buy some tickets, everybody. Let us know if you go and take some pictures and, and uh, uh, we, we'd love to see them. In the meantime, our website is gayishpodcast.com. We are also on Instagram and other social media at gayishpodcast. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails is 5855-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. And our physical mailing address is Post Office Box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. Um, just a quick reminder, everybody, we are having a national virtual coming out day event um, as a happy hour. So on October the 11th at 6 p.m. Pacific, you can get the link to the Zoom on our Facebook page. Uh, if you want to come out for National Coming Out Day, but don't necessarily want to to your friends and family for whatever reason, you can come to this event and come out to us. And if you're already out, that's great, too. We want to hear your coming out stories and be a supportive crowd for people that want to want to uh, come out. Yeah, there's at least one person listening to this right now that was like, I'm just curious. I don't know. I saw some rainbows and I was just th- and you're, you're gay. I just, you're gay. And just <laughs> come and tell us about it. I just It'll accidentally be fun. stumbled across this oh, just <laughs> rainbow logo. And I was just confused or unsure. It's time for a gay sisteratus. Kyle, you want to go yeah, first? Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, planned this out before we talked so much about Instagram, but my Instagram recommendations on my personal, I intentionally don't follow the instigays, the things that make me feel bad about the way I look all of, I, I don't follow any of those accounts and still the recommendations are Harry Styles and Charlie Puth and I don't even know who Charlie Puth is and like <laughs> he's all over my Instagram recommendations it has to be because I'm gay and they know it uh the straightest is that I have not been on scruff in like a month it has been a while I have not been on <laughs> I have not been on the apps and I've, it's been, it's been, it's been horrible. Uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, but girl, you got your monkeypox shots. You're like invincible now, right? Like- I, and it's, it's actually starting just now, starting like two weeks or three weeks or something later to fade away. So I'm, you can, I, I'll have to find an, I'll just have to put a marker like dot on myself to be like, no, 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 I am gay and slutty and I need you to know that. So yeah. What about you, Mike? 
Uh, well, the straightest thing about me this week, I, I went and got my hair cut. And while I was waiting for my stylist um, out in the lobby, I had this moment where I realized that I was standing in the lobby. I was intently watching the football game that was on the on the TV there. And then the, the gayest thing about me this week is I decided to keep doing it because my barber's hot. And I wanted to see him see me watching football and, and be into it. <laughs> <laughs> did it work is your barber now sexually attracted to you i don't know oh, okay. dynamic is kind of kind of weird uh, okay. but it's yeah yeah i used I, to go to a barber in seattle who cut my hair naked yeah he was naked yes it was the naked barber i don't know if he's still a thing there was it clothing optional for you as well or just him yeah it's clothing optional for you but uh i don't know uh something about scissors and clippers being naked I, I don't know. <laughs> sure <laughs> uh so danny how about you what's your what's your gayest and straightest it doesn't have to be this week just in recent memory well this week it works this week uh the the straightest uh thing was i today i i, I can be handy and mm-hmm. today i installed a hardwired heater here at my cabin which involved building some framing and crap to make it work Wow. It's pretty involved. I get nervous with the electrical projects because I'm always, I never trust myself that I got the right breaker and I'm just constantly waiting to get electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. um, but that happened today and I'm proud of that. That's impressive. I realized tomorrow we, we start hitting the, the low 30s and I was like, well, I guess it's time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the gayest thing is I bonded this weekend over with my daughter over a song that she now realizes that I, that I love. And it's uh, Beyonce's newest song. Great. Which is the secret workers anthem of the year that people kind of missed. Um, I love that song. And my daughter realized I like it too. So she constantly puts it on now. So we bonded over it. Great. That's that's amazing. That's that's fantastic. That's adorable. She's a keeper. (laughs) Yes. Most of the time she tells me my music sucks. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying to really get her into the classics like Whitney Houston and Cindy Lauper. And she's like, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> no. Girls just want to have fun. You have like you, you you're going to have to like this. This is going to be one of your anthems. And she's like, no, it's terrible. Uh, I almost rejected her at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Danny Roberts, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. We really, really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I am honored. So uh, thank you also to our super cappers. There's John Crowley, Stephen Porcio, Stosel, Harry Saw, Josh Copeland, Jonathan Montanus, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, Anonymous, James Barrow, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Just Jamie, Kevin Henderson, Don Alinsky, Tom Speed, Dust, Sandy, e. Coleman, Chris Cachatorian, and Jerome York. Uh, thank you all so much for supporting us. Yeah, thanks for your support. Uh, that's it. This has been Gage from the Chris Ketchatorian Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. Be real. Kyle, that was impressive. <laughs> I <laughs> I do really well with lots of men in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> For straightest stuff, it's always uh, the more stereotypical, the better. Like that's the whole point to show that it's pretty silly, right? So, like, sure, and I have like, an obvious maybe, one there. If you change your own oil or whatever, like the, 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 the gayest, yeah. I mean, are you currently drinking a beer? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Listen, it's ten thirty. Right. <laughs>